Welcome to the Anxiety Rx podcast. I am your host, Dr. Russ Kennedy, a medical doctor who suffered from crippling anxiety for many, many years. And I don't want you to have to suffer with anxiety the way I did. So I do this podcast. I wrote a book called Anxiety Rx to really help you understand what anxiety truly is, which I believe is more of an alarm state that's held in the body than really the thoughts of the mind. The thoughts of the mind definitely make it worse. There's no two ways about that, but they don't they don't create the original place that anxiety starts. The original place that anxiety starts is this old alarm that's held in our body, typically from childhood and childhood wounds that weren't healed. We didn't have a parent or a caregiver at the time to heal that alarm and that alarm stays in our body and it just resonates and the mind being a make sense meaning making machine picks up that resonating alarm, that old energy that's stuck in our body from our childhood, and it creates negative thoughts to go along with the negative feeling of alarm. And then we get into worry. And the worry creates more alarm, and the alarm creates more worry, so we get in this alarm anxiety cycle. But today, I wanted to really talk about this being episode 13, and 13 was always my number in sports. I wanted to really talk about how anxiety really affected me. I have some people on Instagram that asked me, how did you know you had anxiety? When did you know you had anxiety? And I didn't really know for a long time. I remember in my late teens, and a lot of people know that my father was schizophrenic and bipolar. In my late teens, I really realized that I just had this omnipresent, this always sensed fear in my system. Like I just felt scared. And I just felt that there's there a sense of impending doom all the time. And a little background, I mean, I grew up with a dad with schizophrenia and bipolar illness. So around the house, there was a lot of chaos. We didn't really know from one week or one month to the next how dad was going to be doing. Some months he'd be fine. He might be fine for six months at a time, a year at a time. And then he would collapse either into depression or into mania. And the whole house would kind of go into chaos. And that's when I really track things back to feeling unwell. When I go back into my younger self, which I talk about in the book, that's when I really track back around 12 years old to the point where I knew my dad wasn't well and I knew there was something wrong. But it wasn't until I got to be about 18 or 19 that I really started to feel this alarm really like everyday kind of thing, feeling this intense feeling of discomfort. And again, I didn't really know what it was at the time. I just knew that I didn't feel well. I didn't feel like I woke up every day feeling like, okay, things are settled. I can do things. I just felt that I there was something going to go wrong. There was this sense of impending doom that I lived with for many, many years. I woke up with for many, many years. And I think it's from living in chaos. When I was a child, like living, I didn't really know when my dad was going to go off. And it only got worse as I got older and he got older and eventually he committed suicide when he was 52 and I was 26. And I was just, just on the verge of getting into medical school. He never really heard or found out or I was never able to tell him that I got into medical school, which is still something that hurts me to this day. But going back, I just remember this feeling like, there is something wrong. I don't think, I thought to myself, I don't think anyone else feels this. And 
I was wrong. I mean, clearly there's a lot of people out there that feel anxiety, but I didn't really know what it was. I didn't have a label for it at the time. And until I was around 20 or 21, I read this book by Claire Weeks called Hope and Help for Your Nerves. And it's like, well, this is freaking what I've got, clearly, is anxiety. So I love that book. And to this day, I really love that book. It's really about tracking the anxiety in your system, tracking the alarm in your system. And she didn't use those terms, of course, but you know, I have relied on that book kind of in a way to create a structure for my own book. And it's really about understanding where the start of your anxiety comes from. And the start of my anxiety was, of course, my unpredictable father and just not feeling secure, not feeling safe, not feeling like there was a safe place for me and also being responsible for him. As I got older, I'm the oldest son in the family. As I got older, I felt like I had to look after him to make sure that he didn't get into too much trouble. I used to, he used to shoplift. <laughs> and I laugh, you know, I just, I know a lot of this acting out was because he was mentally ill. And it was really difficult for me because I became a dad to him in a lot of ways. And a lot of my patients, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, felt like they became a parent in their family too soon. And that's one of the acronym or one of the letters in the acronym ALARMS. So ALARMS was an acronym I, I made up for alarm in the body. And it stands for abuse, loss, like major loss, abandonment, rejection, which would be, could be re, you know rejection or bullying, um, M was for mature too early, which is basically become a parent too early. And then S was for shame. Anything that shames us creates alarm in our system. So I carried a lot of that stuff in my system, and I didn't really know what it was until I read that book by Claire Weeks. It didn't really help me understand and heal it other than, you know, let time pass, breathe. A lot of the body-based things that that I still sort of teach today are still helpful. But I needed something deeper. And I suffered for many years with anxiety. And early on, I just remember going to the doctor quite a bit, like really worried that I had some sort of, you know, medical severe cancer, or I remember I had this lump in my trapezius muscle and I was convinced that it was cancer. And it was, that was my first real experience with health anxiety. And I saw my doctor and he said, no, no, it's just a, it's just a lump in, in your trapezius muscle. There's nothing. I had this old Scottish doctor and and he used to just reassure me all the time. It didn't matter what I came in with, but he said, oh, I think you're fine. I think you're fine. You just, he had, he just, he was quite obese and he had this sort of rocking chair chair and he would always lean back in this chair and say, ah, oh, Russell, I think you're fine. I think you really just need to relax. And yeah, sure. You know, his name was Dr. Cumming. And uh, I'm sure, Dr. Cumming, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. And he was very reassuring, and that was very helpful. He was very reassuring to me, and I think that really eased a lot of my alarm when I went in there worried about some aspect of my health. But I remember getting into medical school and going to London, Ontario, where I took my training, and just feeling completely overwrought. I had derealization, depersonalization, all these things that you have when you have anxiety. You feel like you're watching yourself drink a glass of water. Or when you listen to your own voice, it doesn't sound like your own voice. And I know a lot of you who have anxiety really can relate to this feeling, that there's just this sense of 
unreality to your environment. And it's because you've got all these stress chemicals running around in your system and you don't know what to do with it. And they also create this cascade in your system of breathing really quickly and breathing really shallowly, which tells your brain there's something wrong. There's something that's really scary in your environment. So when I tell people to take a deep breath, I really get them to do this thing called three-part breathing where you breathe in three inhales and really expand your chest wall and then breathe out through pursed lips. So you go And I've done it so many times now that it'll start zoning me out a little bit. So if I start sounding more relaxed, that's that's the reason why. And if you can make a sound when you exhale, that's even better. That activates the vagus nerve, which is the main relaxation nerve of the parasympathetic nervous system, of the pathway in our in our bodies and minds that allow us to relax. So if you can take in three deep breaths, like, and then... But I didn't know about this stuff back then. You know, I knew about taking deep breaths and that kind of thing too. And that really didn't seem to make much of a difference because uh, my mind was going at a thousand miles an hour. So I'm in class in medical school and my arms, my armpits are just dripping. Drip, 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 drip. And to this day, I'm amazed that I actually made it through medical school because I was in such alarm the whole time. Well, maybe not the whole time, as certainly the first year and a half, because I was convinced that I wasn't going to make it through. I was convinced that this anxiety alarm was just going to sandbag me to the point where I'm not going to be able to understand and the material and be able to write exams and to be able to make it through. And it's amazing what we anxious people can cope with and deal with and make it through. You know, I always say anxiety is underestimating your ability to deal with something and overestimating the threat that's involved with it. So you're kind of double whammied in a way. So my early experiences with alarm were a lot of sweating, uh, this flush feeling, like I would always feel flushed. I would always feel hot, which is ironic because my body temperature always is like one degree below kind of normal. It's always like 36 degrees. So it's really kind of odd that my system would be so revved up and then I wouldn't know what to do with it. You know, I'd have to just wait for it to pass. And that was the worst thing about anxiety is that you never know when it's going to pass, when it's just going to like release its grip on you. And that was, I think that was the hardest part for the longest time was just, you know, realizing I had no control over this thing. Some days I would sit like I was living in a eight hour panic attack. That's what it felt like. And it just didn't relent. And then the last two years of med school actually went fairly well. I kind of relaxed quite a bit because I knew I was going to make it through. So much of my identity has been wrapped up in being a medical doctor. And I thought when I went into med school, if I can make it through med school, it kind of proves I wasn't my dad. It kind of proves I wasn't so mentally ill that uh, I was going to be sandbagged with it for the rest of my life. And I told myself, you know, if you can make it through medical school without getting schizophrenic, because that was my big fear when I was younger, is becoming schizophrenic like my dad or bipolar. If you can make it through the stress of med school without that diagnosis showing up with you, you're okay. You know, you'll be okay. 
so I did make it through med school. And then for the years after med school, I was, you know, I was doing okay. I felt like certainly relieved that I had made it through. And then I started my own practice and that started to go fairly well as well. And, you know, all the way through, I was kind of not sure as to why I really wanted to practice medicine. I knew I loved helping people. I knew that was one of my main goals. But I also felt very ineffectual as a medical doctor. I felt like almost from a consciousness perspective, like I'm just handing out medications here. I'm just I'm just treating symptoms. Now at the time I didn't really understand about alarm and anxiety and all that kind of thing. And I would go through years where, you know, I wasn't so bad. And then I would go through years that were, you know, really quite bad. So a lot of my experience was that I would withdraw. I remember living in Vancouver. When I started doing stand-up, I had to move over to Vancouver from my hometown of Victoria that I live in now. And I remember being in Vancouver and just dreading going on stage that night when I woke up in the morning because my anxiety is always, or my alarm, I should say, has always been worse in the morning. And then by the time three o'clock or four o'clock in the afternoon rolled by, I'd be like really looking forward to doing the show. And it was really hard for me to kind of understand what the hell is going on. Because I would wake up in this panic every day. And then by mid-afternoon or so, it would ease off to the point where I was kind of looking forward to doing the show. And it just made no sense to me. Like the anxiety just made no sense to me. Like why is this thing torturing me? And I know now it's because I had this old unresolved alarm that was locked in my system. And every once in a while when my life was going really well, the alarm would kind of calm down, but it was always in the background. And that's what I talk about in the book about background alarm. Background alarm comes from your background, your experience in life, but it sits in the background of your system as well. And then when you go through trauma, when you go through a divorce of which I've had to, when you go through these traumas, the alarm comes right back. So I remember just in my going through my second divorce and just in this deep, deep state of alarm and not knowing what the hell to do about it, just being paralyzed by it. And then when I moved over to Vancouver and started doing stand-up, there was points where I wouldn't leave the house. You know, I have a dog, Buddha's my dog, and he's still alive and he's still doing well, although he's 12 and his hips aren't that great. But you know, he's still doing really well. And the only reason I would go outside was because I had to take him out because he needed to go to the bathroom. But I would make it to work. You know, ironically, I would make it to work. And while I was at work, I was actually feeling okay. I wasn't ever feeling good. But once I got focused on something, like, because I would see sometimes 40 or 50 patients in a six-hour shift at this urgent care clinic that I worked in in Vancouver, once I got into that work, things seemed to be better. And then they didn't. Like when I got close to the end of my career in 2013, I know I'm bouncing around a lot today, but I just felt like I wanted to share how my experience with anxiety has been. So around 2013, when I ruptured my Achilles tendon, I was burned right out. Like I would see a patient or two and then I'd go into the bathroom and I would breathe. <laughs> then I'd come back out, see a patient or two and go into the back bathroom and breathe. So I did that for months, and then I ruptured, on February the 8th, 2013, I ruptured my left Achilles tendon, and that was the straw that broke the doctor's back. That was the end of my medical career, and I knew it. I could have gone back to work in a boot cast, absolutely, and the owner of the clinic really wanted me to come back because I was a fairly popular doctor there, 
But I knew I was done. I knew I was out. I knew medicine was just not for me anymore. And that started the psychedelics and, and my real journey and seeking and living in India and all this kind of thing because I thought, I can't live the rest of my life like this. I've got to find a way out. I did all sorts of traditional therapies and, you know, to some extent EMDR and that kind of thing, which was a little, you know, helpful, but it didn't really cure me. It didn't really get me to the place where I felt comfortable in my skin and comfortable in my life. So I had to really find that peace in my life by doing LSD, doing ayahuasca, doing MDMA, and really seeing the other side and using my doctorate in medicine and my degree in neuroscience and my training in developmental psychology to go, what is actually going on here? What is actually going on in my mind and body that's creating this? And then when I was on LSD, I saw this purple crystalline, porous, dense at the same time density that was sharp and pushed up in my heart and radiated into my back. And whatever told me on LSD, I don't know if it was a voice or whatever, I don't remember, but it said that this is your anxiety. This is, this is your anxiety. Your anxiety is actually this energy that's locked in your solar plexus in your body and has really very little to do with your mind. And that was the start of, of healing for me. That was, you know, I didn't start writing or really focusing on things until later. And then about a year later, I know I'm rambling today, but I really like to just let this out. But a year later, after ayahuasca and LSD, I went to this conference by Dr. Gordon Neufeld, who's kind of my, my mentor in developmental psychology. And he said, all anxiety is separation anxiety. And it's really a sense of alarm that goes along with it. Now, his version of alarm and my version of alarm are very different. But when I heard that term alarm, it's like, yes, that is the thing that was in my solar plexus. It's alarm. It's not actually anxiety of the mind at all. It's this sense of alarm that's in my body. And then I started looking at ways of soothing that alarm, understanding that alarm, putting my hand over it. This, is all, this all came out over five years of you know, kind of self-examination and wondering, how can I modify this alarm if this is the true cause of my anxiety? How can I modify it? How can I find a way of, of soothing it? You know, and I found that, that talking to it helped because the alarm, I really found out not until later uh, when I was writing the book, was my younger self. It was this scared 8, 9, 12, 13, 15, 17-year-old still in my body that was afraid, that was unsure, that didn't know what was going to happen next, that lived in chaos. And once I started addressing him through that alarm in my body, then I started to get better. Then I started to feel like, okay, this, this is something I can really do. I have some agency now over this condition. I'm not just a helpless victim where it grabs me at eight o'clock in the morning and lets me go around four or five in the afternoon. Now I have some agency. Now I know the real cause. So I started doing a lot of work in trying to find the alarm, meditate on it, get in touch with it, really breathe into it, like do a lot of things because I do believe that alarm in our bodies is our younger self asking for our attention. And if we can give it that attention, if we can soothe that alarm, if we can give it now what it was unable to receive back then, if we can really soothe that alarm, we can really 
take the engine out of what causes our anxiety. And that's basically what happened. As soon as I started really soothing the alarm in my body, the anxious thoughts kind of really, well, they didn't just kind of, they really faded away because I was getting at the root cause of what I call the anxiety, which is really this old trauma, this old unresolved wounding that was stored in my body that I call alarm, which is a representation of my younger self. And if you look at some of the people that have studied psychology through the years, they say that the body is the representation of the unconscious mind. So the short version is what happened to me when I was younger was I had trauma that was too much for my mind to bear because I love my dad and I didn't really know what to do. So I pushed it out of my conscious mind into my unconscious and then it got a place in my body that was stored as alarm and it stayed there. And until I really addressed that alarm, until I went back to that little boy and said, hey, I've got you. You know, you're not back there anymore. You're not back in that place where you're watching your dad go crazy or depressed or whatever. You're not back there anymore. You're here with me. And sometimes I'll suggest that in mirror work too. But if you go to my Instagram, you'll see a bunch of stuff on how to deal with your alarm, how to really understand that that's the main root cause of your anxiety. And that's what causes the flush feeling, the sweating, the feeling like you're out of control. And the fact that it starts to kind of pollute your mind in a way and then it makes you look for threat. When you have alarm in your body, you look preferentially for threat and you'll always find it. There's always stuff we can worry about. There's always something to worry about. And then that just gives it more credibility, gives the alarm more credibility and we never actually heal it because we're always making it a little bit worse. We're always making that alarm a little bit worse by worrying rather than going at the root cause, which is the sense of alarm in my body. So today, I'm really, really good at recognizing the alarm in my solar plexus. I know it's there. I know it flares up. I know when I start thinking scary thoughts, I say to myself, are you an alarm right now? And the answer is always yes. And it's like, okay, address that alarm. Put your, I put my hand over my solar plexus. I breathe into it. I try and connect with my younger self. And I say, you're okay you're okay. This is an illusion. This is not real. This is, this is my younger self actually trying to get my attention and pay attention to that little boy who lost his dad. And that's really what it comes down to is, is finding the alarm in your younger self, because that is your inner child or younger self or whatever you want to call it and connecting with that part of you. And when you connect with that part and you give them the love, care, compassion, and attention that they so badly wanted when they were younger, when you were younger, and someone to talk to, someone to say, because at the time, a lot of us, we had trauma, but we couldn't, we couldn't tell anyone, we couldn't express it. But now you can, and now you can hear that younger version of yourself. You can hear them out. You can allow them to express the pain, because if that pain stays inside of you, you're always going to have alarm. And when you really connect with that younger version of yourself, when you really find that alarm and you show that child in you that they don't need to be alarmed anymore, that's when your anxiety heals. That's when my anxiety heals. And you're probably not going to get that through talk therapy or EMDR as much as I love EMDR and that kind of thing. You're probably not going to get that until you actually find the alarm in your system and then address it directly and give it the love and attention now that it's so badly needed back then. So that's my little thing for today. I know it's kind of rambly and that kind of thing, 
but I really wanted to express to you how my experience with anxiety has been, where I have been and where I'm currently am now and what I want to do about it in the future, which is to help other people understand that the root cause of their anxiety is really the sense of alarm that's locked in their body. And if you can find that alarm, love that alarm, be compassionate to it, connect with it because it is connecting with your younger self, then you heal. So thanks for joining me today. This has been something that I've really wanted to do for a long time. And because it's episode 13 and 13 was always my number in athletics, I just wanted to say a little bit about myself and hopefully it's really helped you understand how your younger self developed anxiety as well when you listen to my story. So I will sign off now and don't believe everything you think and we'll see you next time.